0: Okay folks, should we get on? Welcome to King's Church again, my name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here, it's great to have you with us. Supporting um, sporting a bit of a cold, so apologies for any sniffles today. Um, you're going to need to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 29, it's in, on page 251 in here if you're using one of these. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, doing a, we're doing a series at the moment called Sketches. And um, we're doing through the the book of 1 Samuel, the life of David, and this is where we land today. So um, I'm going to read. It's quite a long read. Hang in there. It's all good stuff. You need to hear this, so let's go. 1 Samuel 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were camping by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, The commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Akif said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I've found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you've assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he became an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lords do not approve of you, so go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, "But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king?" And Achish said to David, and said, "I know. Um, sorry, I know that you and you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God." Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of the Lord and come with you. Rise, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Chapter 30. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were there, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went away. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band, shall I overtake them? He said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and shall surely rescue So David set out and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Besor where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he'd eaten, his spirit revived for he'd not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, "To whom do you belong and where are you from?" He said, "I am a young man of Egypt, taken to a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick 3 days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites, and against which and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire." And David said to him, "Will you take me down to this band?" And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my masters, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken them down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled." David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've received, that we've recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He's preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? for as his share who is uh, as his share is who goes down to battle so shall his share be who stays by the baggage they shall share alike and he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day when david came to ziklag he sent part of the spoil to his friends the elders of judah saying here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the lord it was for those in bethel in Ramoth of the Negeb, in Jatir, in Aroer, in Sifmoth, in Eshtimoah, in Rakhal, in the cities of the Jeremolites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horna, in Borashan, in Atak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Amen. Good stuff. Let's just pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your intervention in our lives, Lord, that you broke in to our lives, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just want to say we're so grateful for that. And we're so grateful for your teaching, your word this morning. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? Lord, we want to rest on what you give us this morning from your word. So please speak to us, Lord. Speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Right. Well, some years ago, Blinder and I had the privilege of going to Madrid. Blinder was on a business trip, so I got to tag along for free, like you do. And uh, while, while Blinder was hard at work, I went to the um, Prado Museum, where at the time they had uh, Picasso's Guernica, which is a fabulous big painting that looks like that. Um, it's an epic. It's like 26 feet long. It's 12 feet high. This kind of monochrome thing. Um, and it's a beautiful, awe-inspiring thing, it's it's quite harrowing, as you see, it looks a bit troubled, it's actually um, an anti-war painting, Guernica is a town in Spain that got bombed in the Second World War, and this is Picasso saying, War's a bad thing. And so it kind of tells of some of the, the troubles there. And it's quite hard to get your head around it. But thankfully, they preserved lots of the little drawings that Picasso had done as he prepped to do this big picture. So on the next slide, this is just three, I mean, there's loads of them. So at the exhibition, there's the Guernica, fabulous big thing there. And here's all the little sketches he did. As he, as, he, as he prepped for that. And it's really interesting, because it's quite a hard painting to get your head round. but the sketches really help you understand, help you to interpret and enrich and color in what the big painting's all about. And we're doing this series called Sketches through the book of 1 Samuel, and it's exactly the same thing, because we see Jesus in the New Testament, and it's magnificent, and he's epic. And then throughout the Old Testament, there's so much that points to him and says, it's like this, it's like this, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's just a reminder and it's a help to help you to understand Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And so this series on sketches is is really designed to help us connect all that together and understand more about Jesus and um, appreciate him more. So today we come to these two passages, and it's a long reading. But I didn't want to miss it because this is such an epic story that you you know we need to we need to be familiar with all of this, don't we? So um, just to catch you up, um, David's been in this kind of wilderness period really for ten years. Um, You know, he's kind of anointed king. Um, For the future, but it's not yet. Saul is still the king, and he's—he's—you know—he's late teens when that happens. And then he goes through this period of, well, not yet, not yet, not yet. And first of all, he's kind um, of—he's in Saul's palace, and that goes reasonably well. But then Saul doesn't like him, and Saul starts to chase him down, and he ends up living in caves, and he's living like a fugitive. And that's when, Lord, when am I going to come into my kingly status? And then you know, it's so bad, he actually becomes a refugee. And he goes and lives with the enemy, in this kind of, in 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 this passage that's really troubling, because you know there there he is living 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 in this wilderness time, and God, when are you going to make me king? When's that going to happen? Saul's, Saul's trying to kill him, you know, let's be clear, and, and you know, there's those, those passages where David comes up and maybe steals Saul's spear, and he loves Saul, and he's got a heart for Saul, he's got a heart for God, but he must be going, God, when are you, you going to bring me into my, into, in, into my kingship? If you were David, wouldn't you think that the daily events of life are contradicting God's promises? This does not feel like David being king, does it? He 's got this ragtag and bobtail of men with him, a real mixed bunch and, and that's it. you know He's living in caves it, it, it's not good. what's going on? What is going on with this passage so i 've called this this talk today, what do you do when you 're in the wilderness and um, I don't know about you, but you, well, you, you may have been through a wilderness season in your life, perhaps you can relate to this. Maybe you feel like that right now maybe um, you know. Things just don't appear to be working out the way you thought they were going to work out. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. It's just not come to pass yet. Maybe, maybe you've taken scriptures and God, that's a promise for me. And God's already spoken to you. Fantastic. You're living with it not being fulfilled yet. And that's a tough place to be. Maybe you've got gifts that aren't being used. That's a tough place to be. God, you've given me these gifts. I don't understand that. This is like a wilderness, and, this, and this, this can go on, this can be a tough place to be. We all wonder from time to time, God, when will your word come to pass in my life? I believe your promises, Lord, but I, I just don't know when they're going to come to pass. And that can be a dark, difficult place. And I think David was experiencing some of that. Ten years is a long time to have this promise over you. And actually, as he goes and lives with the Philistines, he thinks Saul's going to kill him. He actually, he actually does show a little bit of doubt there, as Philip was saying last week. So everyone who knows God will know what it's like to go through this. If you aren't a Christian yet, let me just set your expectations. It's not all you know, beer and skittles. It's not, it's, it, you go through difficult times you will face difficult seasons. Several years ago, I was in a wilderness season. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. If you know anything about the history of this church, so 23 years ago we started, we had a guy named Rob leading us, he led us for a while, and then he went off to do something else. And we were without a lead elder. And you know, we prayed, you know, is it right for me to kind of give up my job and come and work for the church and lead and be the leader of the team? And We didn't feel God saying that. We'd, we'd known God's guidance, clear guidance. Move to Kingston, plant a church get this house, you know, lots of things around the establishment of King's Church, we felt very clear guidance from, we didn't feel clear guidance about me stepping into that lead elder role, so we began the search for a new lead elder, and um, man, that was tough, that was a that was a difficult time, um, it was four years, four years of kind of approaching a guy and thinking yeah, this might be God's, oh, God's called him somewhere else, oh, here's a guy, this might... Oh no, God's got somewhere else. And it was just a tough time. The church were amazing. You know, there was a real, there was a real passion and a hunger for God. And God did some really good things in us as a church through that wilderness time. And that's a thought that we're going to pick up on again. But it was, it was a difficult time. And then amazingly God released Simon after four years, and Simon came to lead us, um, and that was fantastic. But you know, it was four years of of crying out to God, Lord God, we believe you planted us here, we believe you called this church into being, we believe you've established, we believe these people need a full-time lead elder. We think that's all consistent with your word. We believe your promises. But radio silence. So that for me was a real wilderness. And some of you have been praying for things. It's like, God, when are you going to do that in my life? When are you going to do that? Maybe it's family members. Maybe you've been praying for a family member to be saved for, you know, is it years? Is it decades? Is it generations? That's where I am right now. I'm in that wilderness right now. We've got family members who aren't saved. And it, and it breaks my heart. I know Jesus came to save the lost. I know that, I know I know he's got a heart for families. I know that. I know he's right to pray. I know that, I'm doing that. God, I am obediently praying for something that's on your heart, that's your will. Radio silence. That is a wilderness place. If you're in that place, man, I feel for you. That's a tough place. So what do we do in the wilderness? I've described the problem in some detail. What are we gonna do about it? Well, let's look at what David did. So, first of all, well, first of all, let's just bear in mind, again, as I said, he's in this dreadful place, 10 years, banished from his own country. His own king is trying to kill him. He's hanging around with a bunch of misfits and baddies, albeit faithful ones, some of them. He's missing his loved ones. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, they go off to battle. And we're not quite sure of the agenda David had going into that battle. We're not going to get into that today. But he was going to march against Saul, was he? Was he? Maybe that's another sermon. But anyway, they march off to battle, and they have to march home again because they get turned down by the Philistines. They get home, they're tired, they're exhausted. And then they find out the Amalekites have been and taken everything. They don't know at that stage that nobody's dead. As far as they know, all slaughtered, all gone. Everything they had, the little they had. David, he's, he's not got much, but the little they had been taken away. And they weep and they weep for have got Oh, they're weeping. And then to cap it all, they blame David and they're going to stone him. That's a bad day at the office, isn't it? My goodness. The first thing David does is weep and mourn with his his men. It's the first thing he does. It's good to pour out grief, it's good to weep and mourn with folks. It's necessary, it's a process, it's right, it's right that we're authentic. Nothing wrong with that. But, the sooner you get on your knees before God, the better. Don't stay in your grief. You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. In that difficult place, in that vulnerable place, you need to strengthen yourself. And there's a limit to how you're gonna strengthen yourself with your mates. There's no limit to how you can be strengthened with God. David was bereft, he had nothing. Supposed to be king, and yet the little he had, the Amalekites had taken it all. He was stripped of all his resources. That's a wilderness experience. You've got nothing left. He knows he needs to be strengthened. He knows he's got nothing left. In that moment, he's totally dependent on God. So it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Let's just think of a couple of ways we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord, just in case you're not sure what that means, how that unpacks. I'd say one, read your Bible. Imagine the God of eternity can speak directly and personally to you just when you open the Bible. So read your Bible. That's how you get strengthened strength in the Lord. You can nourish yourself on God's word. There's, there's real strength there. Listen to God when he speaks to you through the Bible, maybe through prophetic word as well. If you get with your mates and say, I'm going through some stuff here. Can we pray? I feel like I'm in the wilderness. Can we pray together? And then, and then God might speak to one of you guys and say, I think I hear God speaking. Here's a prophetic word for you. That's a strengthening for you. What about Worship. What about, what about getting on your knees before God and just worshiping Him? Maybe put a CD on and just go, I'm going to worship you for the next hour or whatever. Just give yourself to worship. There's strength there for you in that dark place. Lots of ways to be strengthened in the Lord. But here's the little thing even better than, you know, in the wilderness being strengthened in the Lord is being strengthened in the Lord before you're in the wilderness, isn't it? You don't need to wait till you're in the wilderness to be strengthened. You can do this every single day. Imagine what your life would be like if every day you were getting strengthened in God's word because you were reading your Bible. Every day you're praying, and you're going, oh, there's strength for me in this. Every day you're praying for each other, and maybe you're getting prophetic words for each other. Every day you're texting people, hey, God said this to me for you today. Wow. Every day you're worshiping. Imagine what your life would be like Imagine that. Imagine what this church would be like if we were all like that. Imagine that. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? The strength to be had there. So, so David acknowledges, first of all, that he, he's totally dependent on God. And then he gets to praying. So let's see how David prayed. He calls over Abiathar the priest, who wore an ephod. So when I was preparing, I was thinking, I wonder what this Abiathar looked like. It's a bit of a moot point, because there are no pictures there's, there's, there's no f- photos of Abiathar, but here's the slide, look, Abiathar the priest. This is, I put into g- Google, Abiathar ephod, wonder what he looked like. This is the first picture that came up. So uh, it's terrible, isn't it, really? You know, we've got word art and we're going to use it. And, um, and, you know, I'm sure, isn't that um, Kenny Loggins, the old c- country and western singer? It's terrible, isn't it? So, but anyway, it helps you to know what the ephod is, it's that tunic that tunic and he was a priest he wore a tunic I wasn't too impressed with this picture I was less impressed with the next picture I mean I love Lego but that's not an ephod that's a bucket isn't it I mean you've got to set the bar a bit higher Lego for goodness sake you know but um, anyway but so we, we know that the ephod was a sacred garment it was in, introduced to, to, in scripture in, in Exodus so it's talked about this is what the, the priest wore And So this was the legitimate way of seeking God. This was the God-ordained way. The priest, the Holy One, who's set apart, who's a kind of mediator between God and man, would come, and and that's how you'd pray. That's how it was. I mean, imagine if we could do that today. Get get Abiathar in, get your ephod on, come on, let's go, we're going to seek God. That'd be great. But of course, the good news is we don't need to do that. We've got a better priest. Haven't we? We've got a better priest than Abiathar. We've got Jesus. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect mediator between us and God. He's done it already. We don't need Abiesa. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection opened the way for us to come to God. So look, here's our little sketch of Jesus. You remember Picasso's sketches? So here's a little sketch, a little picture. You go, oh, that's really interesting. But Jesus is even better. The fulfillment of that sketch is even better. So not only are we able to pray, which is great, but better than that, God invites us to pray. If we look forward into the New Testament in Hebrews four for a moment, it says, "Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need." Amazing. We come to Him through prayer. Again. It's great in the wilderness season to do that, but we don't need to wait for the wilderness season to do that. Let's be those that come and get strengthened through prayer with God, just again and again, every day, moment by moment. You can do this. You can do this. Let's come to God in prayer. So he acknowledged God's his need for God. He came to God in prayer, and then he listened. And David got a specific answer. God, shall I go after the Amalekites? Is it going to work? Yes, go after them, you'll get it all back, says God. Fantastic! So that's how prayer works, right? You pray, you get the answer off, you go, no, it doesn't work like that, does it? Well, often it doesn't work like that, sometimes it does. You know, God doesn't give us tidy little specific answers to our tidy little specific prayers there and then, on the money, every time. Sometimes, you know, we, we can't, God, this is what I want, this is what I want, oh God, this is what I want. But what we want isn't always what we need, and God's not gonna give us what we don't need. He's not in that business. There are times in which it, God's maybe growing my faith, causing me to remember things he might have already taught me. You know, he teaches us stuff, and we just forget, don't we? So maybe you're in a wilderness place, and you're going, God, what are you trying to show me? And God's going, remember that thing I showed you last time you were in a wilderness? Well, we're going there again. And, and you know, God's transforming our lives, in this wilderness place. We're going, God, I'm after this specific goal. David's going, I'm after getting my wife back. I'm after getting the community back. And God's going, yeah, so am I, but I'm changing your heart as well. And, and that's a key message when you're in that wilderness place. That's a key message. It's very often, you know, sometimes we're praying for like information. God, give me information, give me guidance. He's going, I'm more about transformation of your life. And God always answers our prayers. God always answers our prayers. You should know that. But it just may not be the answer we want, and it just may not be when we want. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that. Sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes God's answer is wait. And sometimes God's answer is yes. And we need to humble ourselves and recognize that. You look at Paul. Now, there was a godly man. And in, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about the thorn in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know if it's a physical thing, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing. He had a problem that he was kind of praying, and he prayed three times to God. God, remove this thorn in my flesh. God said no. God answered that prayer. He said no. He said, "Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you, and also my power is made perfect in your weakness." We must ask God. We must pray but we need to be open to the fact that God is sovereign and all-knowing, and he knows what's best for me, he knows what's best for you, he's got a perfect plan, it's a good plan. And he will answer how he will answer, and his answer is always the best answer. So let's just shift track a little bit, Um, I'm going to shift track and get a bottle of water, but we'll shift track and and look at Saul, we've been focusing on David, you remember Saul's in the story as well, we didn't read that bit today, but I think you read it last week. So while David's doing this, what's Saul up to? Well, Saul comes to God, he says, God, God, answer my prayer, nothing, okay, move on. And he goes and talks to some witches and says, you know, maybe you can tell me what's going to happen. So m- maybe this morning you're somebody that goes, "Yeah, I'm not really into this prayer thing, I'm not going to try that. There is a parallel path, there's an alternative, but it doesn't end well for Saul. So, you know, you've got to weigh these things up. What are you going to do? You have a choice, you can follow Saul's example, or you can follow David's example. You can seek God or not. It's up to you. Eugene Peterson wrote in his uh, commentary, in the, in the David wilderness story, we see a person, hated and hunted like an animal, his very humanity profaned, forced to decide between a life of blasphemy and a life of reverence and prayer, and choosing prayer. We've got a choice. We've we've all got that choice. So what else did David do? Well, he acknowledged his need for God, he prayed, he listened, and now he acts. He receives what God says, and he acts on it. Note, David prayed and God said, but but David's provision didn't change at the time. He's not well-equipped. You know, the little he had's just been taken from him. He's got a bunch of angry, tired, dodgy men to work with. Um, he, he used to be in Saul's palace back in the day. He had infinite supplies of arms, men, chariots, horses—you name it. He was fully equipped. That is not the case now. But he just received and obeyed. And often, a wilderness season is a time of stripping away. You go, oh God, oh, I've got nothing. I feel like I've got nothing. God. And and actually, sometimes God wants to make us aware of our own limitations so that we lean on what he provides. We become more aware of his provision as our provision just erodes. It's a time of stripping, but it's a time of equipping. And God equips you with the things that he would have you have. We lean on him. Wow, amazing. God makes us aware of a lack of resources so that he might We might come to trust in his resources. Do you know what it's like to say, God, only you can do this. I can't. God, if you don't move, nothing of eternal significance is going to happen here. Do you know what it's like to be in that place? That's a wilderness prayer. That's a desperate prayer. That's a faithful prayer. Because you're just trusting on God. That's all you've got. So even though in some respects, apparently David's ill-equipped, Nevertheless, he sets out in anticipation of the provision of God, that God's going to give him what he needs when he needs it. And they're tired and they're dispirited, but David's trusting God regardless. He's not caught up in his lack in, in the present. He's caught up in God's, God's word and faithfulness in what God's going to provide and what God's going to do. And he's looking forward to that victory, because God said, yeah, you're going to get it all back. It's a bit like when Jesus returned and... Um, the disciples said, Whoa, God, um, look, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're kind of in the now. Jesus is back. Come on, bring in the kingdom. Whoa. You know, they want it now. Their planning horizon is about this far. you know, And Jesus is saying, It's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Wow, so God knows what we need, we're like, God, can we have this thing now, here, here, now, and God's like, wait, I've got a different plan for you, it's not for you to know that, but I've got the power of the Holy Spirit, that wasn't what they were asking at all. So these guys set off not knowing where they were going, but then they met that starving Egyptian, didn't they? And you go, well, that's God's provision. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where the Amalekites were. But here's a guy that was just dumped by the Amalekites three days ago and can lead us to them. Fantastic. That's God's provision in action. Amazing. Blinda and I have this thing where we, we, sometimes when we're praying, we go, God, we're praying for this thing here. We go, God, there's a, you, God, you might do this. You might do this. Here, you might do this. I'm kind of giving God options. It's like multiple choice. God, you want to do A? Yeah. <laughs> B? It's up to you. C? And then often God says, no, no, answer D, none of the above. You know, he's got, a different, he's got a different solution. I think, it's my need, it's my need, it's my, no, no, no. No, God says, it's this, this is, this is what you need. God's provision. And the Bible doesn't say that we're not going to face tribulation. In fact, it says we will face tribulation. You're a Christian, you will face tribulation. You will go through these wilderness periods. But God's, God's got provision for you. We read in James, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow. That's a trial worth going through, isn't it? Wow. And as if that's not enough, Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, you know, I, I, I want to go through tribulations if I get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, do you see how God fully equips you, we're going to skip over this but back in the day, we, this church looked at judges where, where, where God's commissioning Gideon, and it says, go in the strength you've got. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites. And he's like, he's hiding, literally. And God says, go in the strength you've got. He's commissioned him. So, oh, me? The st- got, I haven't got any strength. Gideon's got nothing. Me? Go in the strength you've got. That was a key verse at that, in that four-year wilderness for us. God said to this church, go in the strength you've got. We've got no strength. Feel like we haven't got any strength, God. No, God says, go in the strength that you've got. What? Because you've got to fully lean on God then in his provision. It's not about our strength, it's about his provision. And the more mindful we can be of that, the better. Corrie Ten Boom, the 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 Christian author who was um, a Holocaust survivor, said this, you will learn that God is all you need when God is all you have. Wow. So the wilderness experience, maybe you're beginning to see it a bit differently. You know, it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing too. It's a good thing too. I'm going to skip some of this because we're just um, running out of time, actually. So yeah, as I said, God's often doing two things in the wilderness for us. We're fixated on God. Will you get me this victory I'm praying for? And and, and God's about that. You know, He hears that, but He's often transforming you from the inside, and that's that's what you need. Sometimes we don't need the things we're praying for. What we do need is to be transformed by God, don't we? So, just moving on then. so we act. And then the last thing I want to bring out is, is about thanking God. So, so David, let's just recap again, he's, he's acknowledged his need for God, he's, uh, he's prayed, he's listened, he's acted. And, and then I believe there's a real thankfulness in his heart. Let's have a look at David's heart. You see what happens is they come back, they're coming back with all the spoils from the war, and they meet those 200 guys that were too exhausted to cross the brook Besaw. And it says, the wicked and worthless fellows didn't want to give the 200 their share of the spoils. What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, there's, I think there's an arrogance in the heart that says, yeah, we went to war. We won that. That's ours. Well, David did anyway. We were with David. It's ours. We've taken that. And David's like, no, 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 no. That's God's provision. That's God's provision. It's not yours. It's God's provision. Everything we've got is a gift from God. So, that pause, in that pause, we all breathe. That breath is a gift from God. You wouldn't be here but for God's gift. And David treated the victory as a, as a gift from God to be shared with his people. Everything he had was a gift from God. Everything we've got is a gift from God. And interestingly, this set a new standard in Israel, a clear statement. It says that in God's kingdom, even the tired, even the exhausted, even the broken and the lonely, even the, the heartbroken, the have-nots, will be given grace. That's an equal share for everyone, not on the basis of what you've achieved, but on the basis of, you're in this community, there's grace for you here. A new king, David's going to be a new king, he's bringing about a new order. Ring any bells? Sort of little sketch of Jesus there, a new king brings a new order. The last shall be treated like the first. Ring any bells? It's Jesus again. Remember the story of Jesus and the workers in the vineyard? He tells the story where some people go to work really early, some people go to work a bit later, some people go to work quite late in the day. They all get paid the same. It's grace. They all get grace. Paul says of the church, he says, "We're, we're a body and we're all different parts. We've all got different parts to play. But we all deserve equal honor that's another sketch of Jesus, so David was shaped by grace, so that he comes out of the wilderness battle, not with arrogance and pride and selfishness, but with humility and grace and mercy, and I think that is the foundation of a thankful heart, if he comes out with pride, he's got nothing to be thankful for, because he did it all anyway, no, no, it's a gift from God, I'm so thankful God, do you see that heart there, God doesn't bless us because of what we deserve and because he owes us. No, despite what we deserve, God blesses us because he loves us and because he's merciful and because he's gracious. So steward all you've got as a gift from God, just like David did. Cultivate a thankful heart. So just to close out now, so this, this wilderness theme is throughout the Bible. You know, Moses in the wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. But there was another time that Jesus was in the, in the wilderness. So Jesus goes to the cross intentionally, knowingly, knowingly, knowing he's gonna go through this wilderness time on the cross, just a desperate, oh, you know, we, we, thankfully we're never gonna have to go there because he's been there. But he's in full confidence of God's perfect plan. He's in, he's in submission to the will of the Father. As laid down in scripture for hundreds of years. Jesus went to the cross to face Satan again. He took on himself all of our sins. All of the separation from the father that was ours. He took that. It belonged to you and me. And he took it deliberately on himself. Humbly and obediently. Fully confident of the father's perfect will. He wins the ultimate battle. And the outcome? Grace and mercy for all grace and mercy for all, we're the beneficiaries of that, like the people at the Brook Besor were the beneficiaries of David's victory interestingly, we have, we're not going to go into it, the word Besor, it's a Hebrew word, it means good news, there's good news in the wilderness, there's good news for you Jesus went through the ultimate wilderness for you you need to know that, he went through the ultimate wilderness for you, so do you see how fruitful the wilderness can be for you if, if that's where you are, that should be an encouragement, Ooh. If that's where you are, that should be an encouragement. If that's, if that's where you've been, that should be an encouragement. If you've not been there, rest assured you will be there. If you're a Christian, you'll be there. But it's okay because the wilderness can be a fruitful time. It's a painful but a fruitful time. It may just be the place where you see all the promises of Jesus coming to pass in your life. You read these promises. Oh, when are they going to come to pass? It may be the place where you see them coming to pass. So I'm going to close now and pray. We're going to be praying at the end after we've worshipped some more. I'd love to pray with you if you're in a wilderness or you think you're going to be in a wilderness or you've been in a wilderness. <laughs> I'd love to pray with you. Let me just pray now and Ross is going to lead us and then we'll go from there. Lord, we just want to thank you so much that Jesus went through the ultimate wilderness, paid the ultimate price so that we don't have to and we can receive grace and mercy. Amazing, Lord. But we want to be a people that that do like David did. We want to be a people that acknowledge our need for you. We want to be a people that press into you and pray. We want to be a people that listen to to what you say to us. We want to be a people who act on your word and accept your word. And we want to be a people with a thankful heart. Lord, would you change us, Lord? Change us, Lord. Your will be done, Lord. Lord, we want to look to you. We don't want to look to our circumstances. We want to look to you. We want to look to you and your provision. Thank you, God. You're so good. Amen.